Okay, so hello and welcome to the Trinity Biomedical Sciences Institute 10-year anniversary podcast. My name is Dr. Megan Hanlon. I'm a postdoc research fellow in the Molecular Rheumatology Research Group here in TBSI, and I'm very excited to bring you this podcast special. I'm joined here today by a wonderful panel of guests, including representatives from each of the five schools that comprise TBSI. And I suppose we're here today to celebrate the past 10 years of research, of innovation, of collaboration and of impact. Um, And I suppose to look back on those 10 years and the last decade, but also to look forward to the future and what we hope to achieve in the next decade. So to kick things off, I'm really happy to be joined here today by Professor Luke O'Neill, Chair of Biochemistry and the Founder Director of TBSI, along with Professor Kingston Mills, Professor of Experimental Immunology and the Academic Director of TBSI. So firstly, you're both very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I suppose to kick things off, Luke, let's just take us back to pre-2011 and, you know, what was the light bulb moment to set up an institute like this, uh, such as TBSI? Well, we knew we needed a new building, Megan, because we were in really atrocious accommodation in some ways, you know, and an audit had been done in Trinity probably about four or five years before that. Uh, by Peter Doherty, a Nobel Prize winning physicist and a guy called Stephen O'Reilly. And, and they produced a report saying these people need new facilities, you see. And then the college for once responded and they put lots of effort into it. And then the plan began to form a new institute. And then various schools had to get involved because several schools needed new space. The School of Medicine needed space as well. And then we ended up then with a plan and then the plan began to roll. And to our surprise, we got a fantastic building in 2011. Then TBSI was was opened, and the big effect it had was improved our our facilities tremendously. You see, that was the main mission here because we were, as I say, we were in pretty poor accommodation. And I suppose all the five schools, you know, that we will speak to representatives later on, they were geographically dispersed around the college, and then this was a place to kind of bring them all together. Yeah, well, we had to raise funding, you see. So the HEA provided a fair bit of funding, although initially a loan was taken out. That was the confidence Trinity had, you know, to raise some of the money that way. Uh, But one of the missions was to bring different schools together under one roof and then try and encourage collaboration between, say, bioengineers and an immunologist, for example. But there's loads of examples of where we were arguing that you would see collaboration if we were all in the one institute. And then that's one thing that's been happening, you see. So so that that was the overarching goal, in a sense, was to bring together some of the best biomedical researchers from any school, really, into the one building. And I suppose thinking about 2011, you know, Ireland was in a severe economic depression at that point. So how difficult was it to set up um, an institute of this size, given the economic constraints at the time? Well, the idea began before that, of course. So that's the first thing. But you're right. It was very tough times. And and again, we managed to raise all the money from various sources. Uh, the HEA eventually contributed a fair amount, but also um, philanthropy contributed. Uh, various graduates were providing funding as well. It was a combination of sources of funding in the end went into the building. But it was difficult times because grant money had dried up a lot, you see. And then you're embarking on a new adventure in a brand new institute. And yet the climate in Ireland for funding this sort of stuff had changed hugely. So... But we just got on with it, to be honest. And people managed to raise grants through this period from different sources. And as usual, we survived. I mean, my, my memory of Ireland is it always goes through phases of difficulty and then recovery, you see. And then <laughs> we, just, we just keep going as best we can. Of course, we the advantage of having the new facilities then. And that helped us raise money because we could bring people and show them around and, and say we have the necessary... Um, uh, you know, uh, equipment and resources to to fund uh, to support the research. And that was very useful. And were there any other, I suppose, challenges aside from economic ones and setting up? Strangely, getting people in the building was a big challenge because I had the, 
the pleasure of being the first director and, and we had to move people in and then that was challenging because some people didn't want to move. They felt quite comfortable where they were, say, or and then trying to get the thing up and running in a way that was going to be sustainable was difficult as well. Getting buy-in from all the heads of school because that was an important part of it too. Setting up services. Now, biochemistry was very important because biochemistry was the main school actually in the building and they gave up lots of time and effort to support the institute as a whole, you see. So so the logistical part was, was tricky, but that, that often happened. You know, uh, and eventually, I think by the th- at the end of my first year, everybody was in. But it took a good year to convince people to move, and, and then and obviously, um, our, the, my great helper was Tony Byrne, who sa- who sadly passed away. Of course, he he had a, a really difficult job because he, he was the operations manager, yeah. and he had to oversee all this. You see, and then there were glitches. Remember, our floor had to be completely stripped out. The the ventilation system was wrong, and so oh, there, there were a lot of teething problems. You see. so that happens with new buildings, of course. But eventually, we got it all sorted, and then we were up and running. Yeah, and I mean, it's a fantastic facility at the minute. And, you know, there's actually, it's it's bursting with researchers. I feel like there's probably not a lot of space even now. Yeah, well, there was, well, we, we began to, space became the big question then suddenly. Mm. And then it did fill up very quickly in the end, you know. And, and, and if we were bringing in new people, it could be hard to find extra space, for instance. So we were looking at ex- uh, creative ways of cre- creating even more space in the building. But you're right, it, it, it became pretty full pretty quickly in the end. I think at its peak, there might have been 600 people in the Institute overall. Uh, it goes up and down based on grant income, of course. But no, it's always been very active, really. Um, and I suppose, Kingston, just coming to you as academic director, you know, so I'm wondering, would you be able to highlight some of the main accomplishments of TBSI over the, the past 10 years, if it was research-wise? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the I- income in terms of grant income is approaching 100 million over the last five years, which but from all individual PIs in the institute, that's fantastic. Yeah. And the outcomes from that research have been fantastic as well. High-profile papers in leading journals, uh, for example, in the area of immunology, we're ranked second in the world based on the number of citations per paper. Lots of really um, high-profile grants, European Research Council, Wellcome Trust, at one stage, there were 10 individual investigator grants in, in the Institute. We now have 70 re- over 70 research groups, around 400 researchers, postdoctoral fellows, PhD students. So it's a very vibrant place. I mean, it's a bit muted at the moment with, with, with the COVID restrictions, but in the, in you know, two years ago, it, it, you know, it was, and it still is a vibrant um, facility. And I think one of the big um, advantages of having, and Luke mentioned it briefly, of having an institute as opposed to people being spread around the college is having core facilities. So we've got some very good core facilities, the flow cytometry facility run by, by Barry Morn and uh, Confocal, an, an, an animal facility, um, um, so, so th- those really help to to increase the, the the productivity and the capacity of the researchers to do high profile research, but also collaborations. Um, you know, so most of us would have collaborations with other research institutes around the world. So Trinity um, Biomedical Science Institute is on the map internationally as well as nationally, as well as being a a, a one of the probably the best centre for biomedical research in the country, but also, um, you know as good as a lot of the centres around the world. 
Yeah, and actually that's something that came up in the 10-year um, report was how strong the international collaborations that we have are, um, which is so beneficial for us and I suppose for, for international collaborators too. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, the papers that come out of the Institute and look at the authors on those papers, there's evidence from some of the very big papers. They just wouldn't be possible without the collaborators and people are very good at networking with international colleagues and, and, and doing research together. I mean, it's very difficult difficult now to get a high profile paper from a single lab. So it requires a lot of synergy between different labs. And that's what that's what TPSI is about, really. Um, you know, uh, as Luke mentioned, uh, immunologists working with biomechanical engineers and immunologists working with chemists to design new drugs. One example, we, we worked with with um, with uh, a, a young researcher in our department, Vincent Kelly, is a biochemist. I'm an immunologist, and we then worked with a chemist and produced this new drug that inhibits T cell activation, which now Vinny has taken with his chemistry colleagues into a startup company. And the startup companies are the other success story of of TBSI and Luke. um, The biggest success was the the, the Infrasome and its 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 sale trade to to Roche. And there were there were five or six others as well that that have been founded from research in TBSI. So that's a direct result of high impact research from the institute. Yeah, and actually, yeah, that's something I was going to touch on. You know, looking at the ten year report, there's been over a thousand patents filed. citing TBSI publications and you know TBSI as you've mentioned has supported many you know spin out uh, companies so how do you envisage TBSI I suppose supporting this in the future? Yeah I mean I think I'd like to think that um, the environment is there to facilitate um, the protection of intellectual property and this is key and SFI Science Foundation Ireland paid a large role in this because when they started, they made it mandatory that everybody who was funded should protect their intellectual property and not give it away like we did in the past, but protect it through patents if appropriate. And then to try and exploit those patents by either licensing them to Big Pharma or through startup companies. Startup companies is the favourite route because it helps the Irish, you know, indigenous industries getting going and it helps the, you know create jobs in, in Ireland. And, you know, another company that Luke and I were involved in founding, uh, Opsona, one stage had 23 researchers working in it and it raised 65 million in, in VC funding. Um, so, you know, these are the, some of the success stories um, of TBSI. And, and, and going forward, I would hope that we now have the the sort of the knowledge and the wherewithal, but also the, the you know, the, the ability to think about not just publishing papers, but to file patents and then to exploit those by trying to get into the clinic. And ultimately, what we want to do is to have drugs that treat patients. And that's the long term goal of what we're doing, really. Yeah. And I suppose, Luke, if you want to come in here about, you know, TBSI has become quite a centre of innovation and and research um, supported by all these uh, spin out companies, um, especially with with your own uh, becoming quite successful in, in the last year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the, the crux of this, I, I suspect if you look at the metrics, TBSI is performing as well as any institute in the world, I bet you, per capita, because the number of spin-outs is striking. I know lots of places around the world and they wouldn't have that number, I bet mm-hmm. you. Now, maybe, maybe the metrics are in there somewhere, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if TBSI is punching really above its weight in that one, you know. And then my own one, that, that's a TBSI success story. That began in my lab in TBSI in 2012, soon after we'd moved in, actually. So all the research was done in my lab there, which is worth mentioning. And then we raised finance and we got the company. But like Kingston has said, several of us have done this, you know, and then this one happened to really succeed, I suppose. I mean, we got bought by Roche. And now, as as Kingston has also said, the only way this now was financially very successful because we got a big upfront 
and Trinity benefited from that a lot because they were a shareholder. The Irish Exchequer benefited because they were investing in Inflazone through a venture capital fund called Fountain. Some money went back into the Exchequer. It was SFI funded. That's a good return on, on SFI's investment. But the bottom line has to be patience. And there are four clinical trials running now with our inhibitors with Roche. Now, I'm, it's a bit like waiting for the vaccines to come along. I'm, an, I'm waiting for the results. It mightn't work because it's very difficult to remember. And even if you don't get a drug, as, as, as Kingston has said, you're, you're contributing in other ways to the Irish economy through training, through employment, through economic activity. So, but the ultimate dream for me will be if one of these, one of our drugs works on one of these big diseases, and we'll see what happens. And I suspect if we looked at the numbers of several drugs or, or therapeutic approaches or medical devices that began in TBSI, that may eventually benefit patients, and that, that's the ultimate achievement, really. Yeah, and I, and I suppose a legacy for TBSI as well. Um, you know, I, I want to touch back on the, the TBSI 10-year annual or 10-year report because I think it's so striking. You know, TBSI researchers have published over 3,000 publications. They've been cited over 120,000 times. And I think, you know, you mentioned this, Kingston, over 3% of our publications are in the top 1% most cited worldwide. So I suppose, what do you think has driven this success and maybe where can we go from here? I think success breeds success. And you, ha- you start with a small number of, um, you, know, you know, key investigators. When I first came came to Trinity, was be- which was you know, about seven or eight years before we moved to TPSI. I moved to the School of Biochemistry and Immunology, and the only immunologist in the department at the time was Luke, and Luke is really a biochemist. So <laughs> uh, now if you look at what's in TPSI, there may be you know, 15 research groups in the area of immunology. So, so the success of what Luke had started, I then brought additional uh, impetus to that. And then we, we, we started recruiting people in that area and it built up. And biomechanical engineering is another example. It grew from, you know, uh, one or two um, investigators to now being, you know, internationally competitive um, grouping. So there are several examples within TBSI where one or two key investigators helped to expand and grow a discipline because people want to come and work. We get a lot of postdocs from outside the country who want to come and work with us because they hear about what's going on in TBSI and also the variety of of areas of research that are that are that are happening in TBSI. It's not just one area that's 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 um, successful. And again, in the immunology area, because I'm in that area, there's a broad repertoire of people working in different parts of immunology from infectious diseases, COVID, um, autoimmunity, the drugs that that the, 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 the biotech companies are developing, um, the startup companies um, to cancer. So cancer and we have a close interaction with Trinity Translation and Medicine Institute in St. James's, which is sort of the, the clinical side, and we're doing the basic. And then, you know, there's, there's some translation to the clinical side of what's going on. And that's very well, well exemplified by the COVID project, where half the researchers are in TBSI and the other half are in TTMI in, on the hospital side. I suppose so. It's, you know, very much translational, um, the aspects that, that, that we have there as well. Um, I suppose, Luke, I, I just also want to go back a little bit to, you know, when TBSI opened its doors, you know, 10 years ago, what ambitions did you have uh, for TBSI in the next decade? And do you think that we've met them or even surpassed those expectations? Well, we had a mission statement at the start, you see, which was along the lines of do outstanding fundamental basic research that will ultimately translate into patient care. That was, that was sort of a version of our mission, you see. So uh, it starts with just outstanding science. You know, you have to have superb science going on. And we've delivered on that over the years. And the metrics are, as we're saying, publication, citation, those sorts of things are the globally recognised metrics of success. And TBSI has delivered massively on those for a kickoff. And then the next bit is the translational bit. And as we've just been saying, 
you know, companies' interaction with physician collaborators and Jameses or anywhere in the world, really, that's been happening as well. And now we're seeing that come to fruition. It, it's very difficult to discover a new medicine, remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the billions of dollars and they can't get one sometimes, you know. So, so they say we're going to find a cure for disease X is saying too much, you know. But certainly we're contributing. And the other point I always make is every single publication kind of counts towards that mission. And I always say this to our students, even if you think your paper isn't in a massive journal, it's a little piece of knowledge in the effort to, say, treat disease X. Disease X could be COVID, it could be cancer, it could be rheumatoid arthritis, whatever it is. So remember, never forget that. Little pieces of knowledge will, will make a contribution ultimately. And TBSI, given the metrics you've just mentioned, Megan, has clearly delivered hugely. And again, I bet you, if we were to normalise TBSI, and, and maybe this is in the report, relative, relative to our scale, we're up there with the best institutes in the world. You know, And, and the one thing we've always said all along is we were trying to build scale. Because even though we have... 15 immunologists in the in the school there's, 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 there's thousands in, in the Boston area alone you know so let, let's compete with them let, let's get even bigger <laughs> would be one ambition I would have grow, grow it even more and build on that success we, we'd be mad not to you know Yeah and I think probably as we've, we've kind of alluded to throughout this conversation you know part of that success is that TBSI fosters this environment of collaboration and interdisciplinary approaches and I suppose this scientific crosstalk that we mightn't have gotten if all of the schools were separate so where do you think we can build on that for future opportunities for collaboration within the school um, I don't know Luke if you want to take it first and Kingston can come, come in after <laughs> Yeah I, I think just more of the same for start because the, the model's working let's start with that one right um, I would try and build a bit more scale get more people involved you know increase the number would be good because that can help as well and just uh, support I mean it's essential that any institute has good support and we'd like to see a bit more support coming our way maybe from Trinity itself for instance so my, my memory is you we raise all our money ourselves you know really and that's not easy other places actually give money to their researchers now again Trinity has various demands on its coffers so I'm not knocking them uh, too much <laughs> but even still you've got to focus on what you're good at. And we have got great strength in TBSI now in two or three areas, immunology being one of them, clearly, you know. Just keep on with that. Keep keep supporting that and you will see even better things coming out. And a big one for me, actually, what I think of it is, our degree programmes changed because of TBSI. And we began an immunology degree. It was previously called Immunology with Biochemistry. It became clear then we could run an entire immunology degree and that's one of the most popular degrees. So we're training the brightest and best. Many of those are going into PhD programs and then becoming postdocs. And now they're all over the world. I mean, another great metric of this in Trinity TBSI would be the people we've, we've um, sent out into the big bad world. You know, And they're in the best universities in the world and they were trained in TBSI. So again, that's a great network to draw on, you see. So I, that's one of the things I'll be proudest of in the 10 years, actually is the training we gave people to the highest possible standard and they're now building their own labs. Some of them will come back which is great but even if they don't they're making fantastic discoveries wherever they are contributing to the overall global mission of trying to get better treatments and vaccines and all the rest of it you know so that's another great example of TVSI success. So as Kingston would you like to weigh in there? Yeah I, I think you know fundamental to the success of TPSI has been the core research done by postdocs and PhD students. I mean we, we, you know I, I think it's a great environment for 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 research and um, one of the sort of downsides if you like of our success is that we've now run out of space and and um, the building the, the, the academic side of the building is full 
But there is a commercial side to the building, which is was on a sort of a, the building was built in a public-private partnership. So the the, the builder had uh, rights over the the commercial side for a number of years, but that's soon running out. So there's an opportunity now if we can persuade our university to give us some additional space in the commercial side of the building. There's an opportunity to expand and and to recruit um, um, more um, research groups. It's always been a challenge recruiting senior um, um, investigators, but my vision is that we try to recruit junior investigators and grow from the bottom up rather than try to bring in people that are sort of towards the end of their career. And um, that's what we'd really like to do, bring in people with you know, ERC starter or um, consolidator uh, grants, and and give them the the sort of space and the and the, and the and and also to try and reduce their teaching load early. In one of the big difficulties with young staff in universities, they're overlumbered with teaching administrative duties. So we've got to find a way to reduce that teaching administrative burden on the the young successful researchers that are starting their careers. So that would be one of my ambitions to find a mechanism for recruiting young. PIs that can get on with the research and, and to replace eventually people like Luke and myself. We're not <laughs> going to be here forever, let's face it. <laughs> uh, we'll, ha- we'll have your pictures up on the wall. <laughs> don't, don't make a statue. <laughs> they get taken down 10 years later. Man. You'll be careful. <laughs> I thought I just wanted to also touch on, you know, we none, none of us want to talk about it, but we've been in a global pandemic for the past two years. And, you know, yes, or yesterday, actually, at the, the launch of the School of Medicine uh, new research strategy, you know, the director of research, Professor Ursula Fearon, spoke about the resilience of our PhDs and postdoc um, researchers in TBSI over the past 10 years, or the past, past 10 years, years, the past two, two years. years. Thank God we haven't been 10 years in a global pandemic. But, you know, speak to me, I suppose, what, you know, what do you think, um, I suppose, stands to that resilience of, of our researchers um, and how difficult it has been to conduct research um, with, with COVID? It has been unbelievably hard. Um, you know, especially people doing experiments that are long term experiments that you, it's, but you can't sort of repeat it next week in, in two days. You know, so some some of the nature of some of the experiments we do are, you know, two month or even three month experiments. And they came to a grinding halt 18 months ago. And um, you know, the, the, the institute was effectively shut down for a few months, but luckily we managed to get it going again. And now I think we're more or less back to full research with people working from home. But it has been extremely challenging. Um, luckily, the HEA put in place some money to help, um, you know, bolster the research grants that were affected by the productivity of, of, the, of, of, the, of the pandemic. But I think we've, we, we have weathered the storm very well. And, um, you know, thanks to the measures that people like Keith Alden and others have helped to implement, uh, Keith's the operations manager of TBSI, um, we've kept the show on the road. And I think it, it, we haven't been badly affected in terms of productivity. I would say three months, maybe four months work has been affected by it only. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was a huge disruption to to. Absolutely. It was a huge disruption. It continues to be a huge disruption in terms of having to, you know, contain our movement, do some of all our meetings through Zoom, which are never the same. And no. and, you know, getting back to research conferences. I mean, Luke and I, especially Luke, would travel maybe 15 times a year to meetings. I mean, I was on my first flight last week for the first flight in two years. Mm-hmm. So so it is extraordinary how we've had to adapt the way that we do research and meeting people at research meetings. It's not just about going to nice places, and but it's about not just 
presenting data, but it's about meeting people and discussing your research and finding the, net, the next network of collaborators to collaborate with. And that's something we've lost in the last 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everyone feels it in within the Institute. I suppose, Kingston, um, as the academic director, I just want to ask you, you know, what, where do you see the future for academic research at TBSI um, in the next decade? Well, I mean, I'd like to think that it's it's going to grow. I mean, we need to get more space. And so that's one, if we want to grow it, we have to get more space. We have to hope that the funding environment is continues to be strong. We've been very lucky with Science Foundation Ireland, European and other funding. Um, and and that needs to sort of continue. And if it does continue and recruit y- more young PIs, I think that the future is bright for, for TBSI. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, my last question for you both. Um, I suppose I want to just, you know, take a look back on your 10 years uh, in TBSI. And, you know, Luke, coming to you first, what have been your fondest memories here? Um, oh, that's a very hard question. <laughs> um, my fondest memories overall are that we just kept it going, you know, and that we got it up off the ground and we managed to, you know, trigger the thing and then it began to grow and grow and then it got better and better as time went by, you know. And and the fondest memories just have to be the science. There's no question. And my lab was lucky enough with two or three significant discoveries. Many labs did. The joy of discovery is what it's all about, really, you know. And I do remember a couple of times when we made discoveries, oh, that's very, very interesting, you know, and then we built on it in many ways and and that was often me and Kingston have had a couple of collaborations for example even though we're close enough in, in our disciplines but but c- collaborating with people and then getting on with it I, I think probably my fondest memory overall in my tenure was in 2014 with a big joint conference with the Weizmann Institute and that was a thrill I think we'd five Nobel laureates came to that you see because they brought some of them with them you know and that kind of thing and that gets back to Kingston it's been very difficult because of this COVID business we're very sociable as scientists and over the years, there's been some great conferences in TBSI, and we've all been involved in organising them. And, and they're, they're special memories, those hugely important conferences. And remember, conferences are so important because they're, you network, you learn new science, you get new ideas going, and then you socialise with your fellow like-minded <laughs> scientists. And we have loads of examples of that. So that, that, they'd be my fondest memories. I mean, going back to when the Institute opened, the fondest memory of, of, that I can have is coming into a nice, warm, modern, clean building yeah. that was well equipped. You know, that, was, that, that was just unbelievable. I mean, we, we had, Luke and I were in the old biotech building, which wasn't the most pleasant place to work. Yeah. And the biochemistry building was even worse. And, and some of the, um, you know, our colleagues in that, you know, the, the place, I, I was head of biochemistry and immunology at one stage when we were in the old building. And I got a phone call at four o'clock in the morning saying that the the building was seriously flooded and I went in with my wellies and there was there was six inches of water on the second floor of the entire building. Jeez. So so, you know, to move to a building that's modern and well equipped and, you know, reasonably well financed, largely true, it has to be said, um, PI grants, individual investigator grants rather than one mega large grant. And that's that 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 sort of speaks to the, the success of the individual investigators. So to me, the, the sort of the joy of looking back on, on TBSI is to having a modern, well-equipped building with very productive PIs, but also, as Luke said, looking at where the people that have qualified in the early years have now gone on to to their own um, set up their own research groups and other universities and you know the legacy of of TBSI is not just felt in TBSI it's felt all around the world where, where, our, where our graduate PhD graduates undergraduates and postdocs and fellows have gone on to you know set up their own careers. Yeah, I think that's a lovely note to perhaps end on. Um, it's been so lovely to speak to you both today. Um, I don't know, do you want to add anything um, 
to to the to our final end of our podcast. <laughs> I think you've done a great job making it, and, and I mean, I, and I'd like to praise the 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 the, the work that that your own mentor, Ursula Fearon. I mean, she was a, a great recruit for Trinity to bring in somebody from a largely a medical background and bring rheumatology into the institute, and that's been a huge plus for us to have someone who's so closely aligned with the, with the medical field, and that's a very good example of how basic research and medical orientated research can work in synergy. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd look forward to the next 10 years, Megan, because as Kingston has said, we won't be around forever. Uh, so I'm hoping the next generation take up the baton now and, and push it even further because it's a fantastic opportunity now, let's face it, with the focus on biomedical research because of COVID. And TBSI is perfectly placed now in many ways to galvanise and get on with it. And I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years. Watch, it'll be it'll be even better than the first 10. That's my prediction. Absolutely. Well, if we all had drinks now, we'd, we'd raise them to the next 10 years of TBSI. So brilliant. Thanks so much. Thanks, Megan. So I suppose listening to Luke and Kingston, you know, the success we've had over the past 10 years of TBSI is undeniable. Um, and these successes are a testament to the amazing community of researchers and scientists uh, working in Trin- Trinity Biomedical Sciences Institute. And so I'm delighted to be joined here today by five researchers, each representing the five schools that make up the Institute. So let me introduce you to Professor Pork Fallon, uh, representing the School of Medicine, Dr. David Finley, representing the School of Biochemistry and Immunology, Dr. Joanna McGowan, representing the School of Chemistry, Dr. Michael Monaghan, representing the School of Engineering, and Dr. Helen Sheridan, representing the School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. So we might come to you first, Porik. I know you are keenly uh, interested in translational immunology and the underlying mechanisms of inflammatory diseases. And so perhaps you'd like to fill us in on you know, what your research group specifically has been working on um, in the past few years and also to highlight some of the main accomplishments of the School of Medicine over the past decade. Yeah, so the School of Medicine is kind of unique because we span the hospitals. So our staff, our clinical appointments in particularly James's Hospital, Tala Hospital, uh, the Children's Hospital. So we kind of span that translation, translational corridor. So I'm an immunologist and I'm lab-based. So we work on inflammatory diseases. And in TBSI, we've been focusing on allergic diseases, asthma, topical dermatitis, um, also um, more recently, hemophilic disorders. And with TBSI, we're just in a position where we can work with our clinical colleagues so samples in the hospitals from patients move backwards and forwards. And it's very much that with medicine that TBSI is the, is the center for us to engage with our, do our basic research with our clinical colleagues in the teaching hospitals. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I'm actually in the School of Medicine. So uh, it's wonderful to have you here today representing uh, the school. Joanna, I'd, I'd like to come to you next. Um, would you perhaps like to you know, outline the key achievements of your own research uh, in organic chemistry and I suppose that of your colleagues within the School of Chemistry over the past decade? Sure. Yeah. So chemistry is really the central science. So we have a really nice overlap with the biosciences and particularly in my area in chemical biology. But then we also um, overlap with a lot of other science as well. So uh, we have strong links to physics, materials, chemistry, um, environmental science, etc. But to focus in on what's happening in the TBSI. Um, so I picked out a few uh, nice examples of recent work. Um, the McDonald group, um, they're actually an inorganic chemistry group in the TBSI and they've been working on the understanding the fundamental mechanism 
of some of the enzymes involved in uh, DNA synthesis. So really getting into the, the nitty gritty of what's happening at the metal centers there. And then the Conan and Southern groups, um, along with the, the Kelly group in biochemistry, they've actually come up with a new class of drug candidate for multiple sclerosis. This is looking incredibly promising so far. So they've actually spun it out into a company and that's being developed towards clinical trials. So fingers crossed for that. Um, and then in, in our group, we're basically interested in being able to study enzyme activity. So not just how much of the proteins there, but actually really how much of it is active and what's been switched on and off. And we're specifically interested in um, a few different enzymes. And one of the things we've done recently is we've actually um, developed a new way of probing these enzymes um, to track their activity. So the probe will actually bind to the target, but it won't capture it directly. And we can, it'll bind and then just lie in wait until we trigger a capture event. So it's acting kind of like an undercover detective um, to infiltrate a, a gang and then launch its sting operation. I love that explanation. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Um, you know, we also have Dave Finley here with us. So Dave, I suppose, would you like to discuss your immunometabolism research? Um, and also maybe, you know, allude to why this field has become so huge in the past 10 years, but also I suppose the main accomplishments within the School of Biochemistry and Immunology in the past decade too. Yeah, so I think you know there's there's been so many great yeah, discoveries in, in in the school over the last ten years, but I think something that the School of Biochemistry and Immunology has done very well, and it's in the spirit of the TBSI, is is bringing lots of disciplines together. So, um, I guess immunometabolism in itself brings the two halves of our school together beautifully. You know, uh, uh, biochemists working very closely with immunologists, um, <clears throat> but even beyond that, you know, we have you know Michael here is is part of our forum as well, a bioengineer. Uh, we have people uh, attending from pharmacy um, and from medicine, and in fact from other universities all over Dublin who who are interested in immunometabolism. And this just happened to be something that was when I moved over here here in 2011. Luke had started the work on, uh, and it just it's grown legs. And and I think it's people around the world are very surprised to see what a focus TBSI is for immunometabolism research. So, uh, and they're surprised because Ireland's a relatively small country, but we have a huge, huge sort of a, a core of people just interested in metabolism and, and immunology. And it's, uh, it's, it's really within that spirit of TBSI and working together in different disciplines that's allowed it to, to really sort of uh, um, expand in this way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I do think TBSI has become, I suppose, uh, maybe a centre for immunometabolism research. Um, I'm also very excited to talk with uh, Helen Sheridan. So, Helen, I'm excited to talk to you um, about your natural product drug discovery research. I'm also very interested in uh, your latest project, Unlocking the Potential of Irish Bogland Plants. So I suppose would you like to talk to us about your research, but then also the main accomplishments and key achievements uh, within the School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences? OK, um, well... I'm I'm probably the oldest person in the room, so I may sound as if I've done a bit more, but it's only because I'm old. <laughs> um, so I'm by training, I'm a chemist, an organic chemist, but I've been working in natural product chemistry all my life from my PhD on. And I suppose for me, um, moving to Trinity, firstly, I came from UCD originally um, and then into pharmacy. I was in the right environment to begin uh, multidisciplinary research way back in the 1980s. And so to me, that's been the focus of everything. And, and, and I, I found the TBSI a gift because here you had this environment where you had all these people who think differently. And I have always believed as a scientist that our greatest creation is at our at the boundaries. 
So you know your core science, but you know you can't do everything. And that's something I've been aware of forever. So I've always needed to surround myself with people who are really good at what they do. And so to bring those connections together with biology. So natural products have been my mainstay and there have been days where there has been famine in this area and no research funding, no equipment and no nothing. And you would work really hard maybe to bring in a 5,000 euro innovation voucher. And that had huge value and was worth every bit of the, the sweat. Um, I was fortunate enough to get my first big break, I think, way back, um, which was before SFI, but was the pre precursor of SFI. I think it was called Olus at the time. Um, Basically got money to fund a small project. Now, actually, I got 500 quid from the Royal Irish Academy, <laughs> which was extremely important. And uh, that was way back in 1989 when 500 pounds could buy you a lot. And then I got maybe 30,000, which would have bought a house in um, in the early 1990s from the equivalent of Olus, all to work on this concept, this idea I had around bioactive um, molecules, but from ferns, very small molecules called indanes. And that was the start of a huge big project. Um, it took a long time and we brought basically from discovery to human clinical trials, a drug through that period of time. Um, and that was a huge voyage in, Trin or in Trinity even at the time. And it involves setting up a campus company. We work very closely with Pork with um, translation medicine and some of the of the of the methods and, and with Luke. Um, and so we were in this pond where you could actually talk to people and try and really build up your capacity. So that was where I began. And um, that was I suppose that project was very it was all consuming for many, many years. And Pork asked me earlier, are they, these molecules still in my brain, they still are. But the natural product world has grown hugely. And in, in terms on a, a, of a national kind of basis, the, 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 there is huge potential to engage with natural products, both in Ireland and to link in with production and, and with um, cultivation of new species and, and then investigate these incredible therapeutics or these incredible molecules for new therapeutics. So um, I was fortunate enough to work in the TBSI. I was fortunate enough to be the director of research, or in my, of research in my school. And so I used to sit in on a committee in the TBSI for a number of years um, when my head of school couldn't. And as a result, I engaged in conversations with many people who I mightn't have met with otherwise. And as a result of all of that and us getting to know each other's science, someone recommended me to a group who were looking for a researcher who had experience in natural products, had an understanding of plant based science and who worked with China. And as a result of all of that, um, I was recommended at the time to meet somebody. And the person who recommended me was Orla Hardiman, Professor Orla Hardiman, recommended me to meet the, these people who were um, representatives of a Chinese investment uh, company. And lo and behold, we secured funding of six million euro to investigate the bogs of Ireland and to look for new commercial potentials, new social um, interactions and new therapeutic molecules from those environments. And that's how that story evolved. It's about, you know, a book and that all right on its own. <laughs> and so now we have a really big team in in uh, working in research in this area, working in outreach and working in civic engagement, huge number of different facets. And that began in TBSI, as did a lot of the chemical research that went on before that. Um, and now we have set up in another centre in Trinity, but it's the Centre for Natural Product Research called NatPro. And the aim there is to pull PIs who have an interest or an extension in any of the areas into the functionality of natural products, the formulation of natural products or how they may go forward as new medicines. And we're also involved now in the bioeconomy and um, um, 
I, I'm involved now in with, with um, you know, trying to kind of inform government policy on how we can actually look at natural products and maybe those that we've thought were useless or residual waste or whatever and see if we can repurpose those, discover that chemistry, understand a bit more. I'm looking at you with respect to the enzymes as well. I'm thinking like we've a lot to do, um, but there's huge opportunity in the in the area. And we have, again, a huge network, like David said before, one of the things we're really good at in, in Trinity is also networking and building a network. And that comes from being a small small country. Mm-hmm. But the TBSI ecosystem actually gives you a voice when you're abroad. Because people, if they don't know you, they know it or they know someone in it. And everybody knows the lads from earlier. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> but it really does give gravitas. Um, yeah. Uh, so and, and from my own school, I mean, I work with incredible people, but we're quite disparate in what we do. So although pharmacy is one school now, it used to be four different departments. In fact, it turned into five. And just to give um, a synopsis of some of the incredible activity there, one of our lead re- researchers is Lorraine O'Driscoll. And Lorraine has a very big biological um research group looking at cancer and looking at extracellular vesicles would be her one of her main focuses. She has received a laureate award. Lorraine has now taken over the lead in, in the Cancer Institute. Um, she, she's got grants from everywhere. I remember Lorraine used to go to Harvard a lot and I often said, can I carry your suitcases just, <laughs> just to get there, you know. Um, we actually got there with our ethnomedicine at one point, which was another wonderful thing because who would have thought a natural product chemistry could slip in those hollow gates. But anyway, um, so Lorraine, is, her, her group is, is very, very successful. And then we have younger people. We have Neva Boyle and Neva is working with very nice, you know, she's, she's an organic chemist, but really a pharmaceutical chemist. So she's looking at anti-cancer drugs and Allergy. I heard you say allergy pork. I don't know if you've engaged with Neve, but she's got some really good work that she's looking at in terms of the chemistry of allergy in a very novel way. And then we have a really good group who used to be very focused in the TBSI. But I think we could it's 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 maybe an area that needs to be incorporated more, which would be around nano medicine. So there's a nano medicine cluster looking at in vivo and in vitro models, looking at drug delivery in 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 various ways um, nano carriers, smart nano carriers, hydrogels, all that sort of stuff. So I'm thinking that that probably there's an overlap there, certainly with engineering, really good expertise. But um and and uh, I forgot John Gilmer and I forgot Fabio uh, de Souza Menezes is also working there. No, well, that's brilliant. We've, mm. uh, yeah, it was a great overview of the School of Pharmacy and, and Pharmaceutical Science. And, you know, something we will talk about as we go on is this idea of collaboration and, and interdisciplinary approaches, which was brilliant as you went through the, the people uh, within your school that you were pointing out, people around this table who could all collaborate and work with those. I think that's one of the, you know, the nicest things about TBSI is that, you know, crosstalk. Um, so I suppose finally a welcome to Dr. Michael Monaghan. So, Michael, would you like to talk us through the research that your group has been doing into bioengineering and cardiovascular tissue biology, but also what your colleagues um, in the School of Bioengineering or the School of Engineering, I should say, have been up to? Yeah, thanks, Megan. Um, It's great to see TBSI as well celebrating 10 years. I started in 2016 and it was September and they were celebrating five years and there was a big event that week, actually. Uh, So I remember that well. That was my introduction to TBSI. Um, So I'm based in engineering, but we also have the Trinity Centre for Biomedical Engineering. So that has been in TBSI since the beginning and was established by our previous provost, um, Paddy Prendergast. So he's a biomedical engineer as well. Um, And in my group, we focus on a number of different aspects. So if you think about a biomedical engineer, um, it 
spans from medical device design all the way to creating scaffolds out of materials, working with stem cells and trying to create uh, tissue engineered constructs. So in my group, we work kind of on a few different things and they all come together at some point. And one of those things is um, induced pluripotent stem cells. So these are progenitor cells that have the potential to become any type of cell, but we're interested in driving these cells towards cardiomyocytes. And recently as well, we're driving them towards a macrophage phenotype as well. That's some new work that we're doing. But the reason that we're creating cardiomyocytes is we're trying to create heart tissue in a dish. So we all know that you can grow cells and they'll grow on flat, as flat layers on plastic, but we incorporate biomaterials. So this can be in the form of a gel, and one of the most recent materials we're working with are electroconductive polymers. So if you think about polymers, you think about plastics and plastics protect us from electricity. But these particular plastics actually conduct electricity. And that's quite beneficial in comparison to metal, which is quite stiff and hard and hard to fabricate into different shapes. So we're working with polymers to make these soft, flexible platforms to grow cells on. And why we're doing that is we're looking at the materials as a therapeutic alone and they can you know, they can be directed towards different applications, but also creating this 3D tissue where we can test different drugs and test to see the force of the cardiomyocytes, if they get stronger, if they get weaker in different scenarios where we're trying to model disease or see the effect of a therapeutic. Um, and then one thing which you know about, and I think Dave knows about as well, is our FLIM microscope. So yeah. uh, there's a big story behind that as well, but um, it's basically a microscope that was locked in a room on the minus three floor for about six years. <laughs> and I spent about a year like traveling around the country looking for a microscope like this. And eventually I heard that there was one in minus three in TVSI. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> so we need, the, we need the audit. <laughs> you need, need the audit. Yeah, yeah, we need an equipment audit. <laughs> so eventually I got funding to upgrade this microscope to do this type of imaging that we do. And there's a story as well. I had a folder on my desktop called email for the door. And essentially it was all these documents that I had because I needed to move a door to get access to this machine because it's part of a um, barrier restriction unit. So you had to like gown up to go into it. So eventually the email for the door folder worked out because we got the door moved. But that particular microscope is great because I did my postdoc in Germany working on that type of microscopy and it fits into imaging metabolism and quantifying metabolism in real time. And it's a non-invasive process. And it was really good then being in TBSI because I got to see the work Dave's doing and the other groups as well doing immunometabolism. So it really fitted in just by accident, pure fluke, because I didn't know this until I'd come to Dublin. I'd heard of some of the big names, but um, I didn't know about this specific area. Um, so that fits in well there. And we're using this technology. We're focused not so much in unraveling particular questions. We're trying to create a toolbox to unravel other people's questions. So we've moved a little bit now into like machine learning approaches, making the system more advanced at making decisions and classifications. Um, so that's kind of the work I do. Um, and then my colleagues that are based in engineering, some of them are based in other institutes as well. So we have Richard Riley. He's based between medicine, actually, and engineering. So he does a lot of great work in um, neural engineering focused a lot on different um, brain disorders and so on and, and, and ways to diagnose this and overcome them. Um, we also have a high concentration. I'm not one of them, but we have a high concentration of ERC awardees. Um, so we have a, at least five individuals that have ERCs so the European Research Council grant, which is a very prestigious European grant. And then recently, one of our colleagues got the hat trick. So there's three of them, the starter, the consolidator and the advanced. So Danny Kelly, oh. who does great work in 3D bioprinting, he got the ERC advanced grant. 
No pressure there, Dave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't get the first one, so yeah. I've now it already. I got none of them, so uh, but I can still apply. We'll uh, edit all of this. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, Danny does great work. He three D prints uh, materials for um, cartilage. So like, if you damage your knee and so on, yeah. like his three D printing, you'll never get to stage where you'll three D print a heart. I don't think you'll see it in my lifetime anyway. So because it's just too complex, and the structures that we create are very precise and very, mm. very good, but they're on a very, very small scale. So what I never thought they'd get to the moon. So yeah. remember, you can see a lot in a <laughs> lifetime. Maybe. I maybe. wouldn't put 50 quid on that now. Yeah, I would bet on. Well, I'd like to see that, but I think there's more. There's other things we can do maybe that would make more impact. And think of it just the cost mm. of creating a personalized tissue engineered 3D printed structure. The cost of that versus giving someone beta blockers or something, you know, like it's just. I can think of one or two candidates who also recently flew to the moon or. That's right. The way, yeah. You know. <laughs> they yeah. Probably few. They can afford yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's Danny's doing. And then the other there's great cluster actually of medical device spin outs. So one of the rooms on our third floor is kind of an incubator room. So a lot of these um, people, biomedical engineers would graduate from like a, an MBA program or some sort of other masters in medical device innovation and then set up their startup and then apply for EIC funding or venture capital funding. So there's been these four or five success stories there where they've really generated millions. Like one company recently got something like 17 million, another company got 3 million in funding. So there's a lot of spin out there and that's typically involved with uh, one of the colleagues called Bruce Murphy. So academically, he's great, but his focus is on uh, spin outs and commercialization in the industry and really huge success there. Um, then other colleagues, uh, different applications. So a lot of people are interested in bone, others interested in the eye. Actually, the the front of the eye, and I heard that the people that work on the front of the eye don't talk yeah, with the people at the back of the <laughs> eye because I tried to introduce them and they didn't want to talk to each other. Um, <laughs> so this guy works, Mark Ahern works at the front of the eye, corneal tissue engineering. And we also have Trina Lally, who does great work on cardiovascular biomechanics. And David Hoey, actually, he works with extracellular vesicles as well. So he's getting them from stem cells and using them to increase bone deposition from other cells when they're when they're treated with each other and <laughs> no, I think I think you gave a very good overview. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Michael. And thanks to you all for, I suppose, highlighting, um, you know, giving us a flavour of the research that's being done in uh, within TBSI and within each specific school. And I think something that, you know, has come up as we've spoke just here uh, in the last, you know, 15, 20 minutes is this idea of collaboration um, and interdisciplinary research. I suppose, what do you think the key opportunities and perhaps the key challenges are um, for collaboration within within TBSI? I don't know who wants to. Dave, would you like to take that question on? Well, um, I think the colleagues I've come in contact with have been very collegial and very helpful. You know, Luke O'Neill pretty much gave me my first PhD student just to get me going. You know, so there's been a lot of uh, supportive, um, su supportive atmosphere in, in TBSI since I've been there. Um, and I think immunometabolism is this new sort of field and there is lots of scope for really collaboration with all the expertise we have around this table, you know, uh, from the from the natural projects to the products to the to the, you know, the flim microscope, you know, I think, you know, and 
I think we are already collaborating in, in a large degree because we all meet meet, meet via Zoom in, the, in, this, <laughs> this, in this environment. But at the moment, we have now 15 different labs who present immunometabolism research from, from Trinity. Can you believe that? 15 mm-hmm. labs. Uh, and this is only a field that's 10 years old. So um, so I think we've all got in there and we bring our all, and everybody brings their own specific um expertise, you know, from, from years with clinical samples from RA patients to, you know, tool toolboxes for generating new data to uh, to some of the other models we have in, of most of most diseases. So I think TBSI is, is is already sort of a very good sort of melting pot for collaboration in certainly in the field that I happen to be interested in, which is great. Absolutely. Yeah, Helen. Um, I think there's there's great scope within the TBSI as well. Um, I, I think there are challenges, though, as well. I think one of the biggest challenges is probably space. Yeah. You know that everybody wants to expand and then we're all spilling and pushing. And I, and I know that from that committee you used to sit on, like, I mean, the, you know, we're under constant pressure for more space. So I think what we really have become very aware of in our school is that the TBSI isn't about a building per se. It's about that ecosystem and you're part of it and it doesn't matter where you are. And I think that's really important to hold on to. But what I think the great strengths in TBSI, and I'd love to have seen more and I'd love to see more like post-COVID, was bringing together things like those um, town hall meetings of expertise. So now I know Zoom works really well, but I I was at one or two meetings that were absolutely brilliant. So it would have been a mix of people from across TBSI, a couple from TTMI, from all over the place. And maybe there was a theme given, perhaps immunity, perhaps um, in vivo models, XV, you know, in vitro models, whatever the title being. And I felt that those meetings were hugely valuable because you you really did, get, you maybe did a five minute pitch and then you kind of had these dating cards. It's a bit like speed dating for scientists. <laughs> and I think there was a glass of wine at the end of it. I mean, there was a lot going for it. But more importantly, you got to meet people and you could hear what they did and you thought, that's what I need. And so I, for me personally, I found those hugely beneficial. I know several of my colleagues did. And within the TBSI, it meant then if you met somebody, because we're all on different floors and I know that the knowledge exchange is supposed to do a certain thing but then those first years are all in there and I don't know if the first years but those medical students are all over the place but I don't think it has worked maybe quite the way we would love it to have worked which was the idea that you go in and you're not afraid to go up to somebody and say hi or you know or you sit at the same table and what do you do because although we know each other we don't really know each other that much and I'm old but I'm still quite shy um, so I, I think that when we get back up and running, that that social in, and it'll be so precious, really. But the intellectual coming together and then the social coming together where we can really get over the hurdles that might hold some of us back, you know. Yeah. So I, I think what people get with TBSI, TBSI is a building mm-hmm. that holds five schools. So when it was being built, I was in the committee that was designed everything like that. And that went on and it was built. And it's a building with five schools. But it's not as people. Mm. So you, we going through the different schools, we all talk about people. So you asked me about medicine, about success, and I'll rattle off Ursula Fearn, obviously, Seamus Donnelly, Suzanne Clunan, Ola Hardiman. It's people. Yeah. Mm. And when I say people about success, like in medicine, there's a thousand medical students in medicine at any one time. So 10 years, there's probably 10,000 doctors who wow. walked through TBSI. We have 300 postgrads, so theoretically 30,000, sorry, 3,000, 3, my sums. <laughs> um, so whether it be undergraduate medicine, at least 1,000 doctors have been through TBSI, and that's people. The postgraduate MSCs, we do 50 PhDs every year through medicine, and that's people. 
And then the strength then is the quality of our postdocs and our postgrads. The junior faculty, I look, I look now after 10 years, the junior faculty recruited then, they are assets. And they've, as we heard earlier, people that started with the ERC, a starter, a consolidated advance. So when I look at TBSI, I just see a building. And I just see the equipment, the toys, they're obsolete as soon as they come out of the box. The assets, the people. And you know what's good about TBSI is people. Now, we could say that, yeah, it'd be nice to have a bar in there or a tea room. Okay, it was discussed when built. I wanted a bar, but that's probably not allowed. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want a restaurant. I said, you know, you go to any institute and you meet someone, you go to the tea room or whatever yeah. it is, the, yeah, and you meet people. True. So that's that's yeah. history. Despite that, whether it be the coffee shop across the road, like I go to Beaches across the road, Luke goes to the one underneath, so we alternate when we meet. Scientists get on with it if you've got good people. Mm. So TBSI is about people. Now, the quality of people this, this week is fortunate because the highest highest sighted scientists, the oh, yeah. 1% in mm. the world, top 1%, and Trinity's done brilliant as ever, the seven, but three of them are in TBSI. Including yourself, Forek, congratulations. Well, we did notice that. Yeah, well, Luke and myself were in immunology, yeah. and then David Long for biochemistry. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, again, Cran has done very well, I have to say that, as ever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, three out of the seven in Trinity are in one building. It's amazing. And there's like, I don't know, 30 in the country. So like one building has a nucleus of, you know, successful scientists. But my success is down not to me, it's down to people. Mm. And it's the people that I'm fortunate to have in my lab the people I collaborate with in TBSA. And when I look around the, you know, the table, you know, we've collaborated. One of my last PhD students is in David's labs. I, I, I've, I've collaborated. We will, your, we will. Well, <laughs> off, I'll, I'll just explain offline. In your department, you know, we, we collaborate, but the, you know, the real message is, what is the success of TBSI? And to me, it's not mm. papers, it's not high sight. Well, grants, mm. yes, people get caught up grants. It's not as people. It's the fact that whether it be a medical graduate, a pharmacy graduate, a chemist graduate, biochemist, immunologist, bioengineer. We've brought the last 10 years a cohort of top quality undergraduates that are sought after by industry and academia. Many of them we keep because they're that good. Plus our postgraduates, they've got MSCs or PhDs. And the big thing, it's not the senior faculty, it's the junior faculty we've, t- we've recruited the last 10 years, including yourself, who came through, and David, and probably yourselves that came through. That's and that's an asset. Well, I'm not including yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. So you ask me, what is TBSI? Yeah. It's people. Yeah. Excellent people. Yeah. Excellent. And they people. don't have to be in the building. That's what yeah. I was saying. Yeah. You you just need that affiliation. You need to know that that's part of your network, your connections, because yeah. there's no room for some people now. But it doesn't mean they can't be part of. Absolutely. Of that. Yeah. But we, we do need. We do need. We do need a bar or tea room though. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. We'll start a campaign. And let me just mention, you said that the equipment is toys. I agree totally, but I would like at this point to mention that it's nearly Christmas and if Santa was coming with a few extra pieces in his sleigh, I don't think any of us would give give out. We're always open for more. Well, actually, that was one of the kind of things I wanted to touch on. So, you know, TBSI hosts a wide range of core facilities. So as Porg has mentioned, we've got, you know, the NMR, we've got mass spectrometry, a wonderful flow cytometry suite, confocal microscopy, we've transgenics. But I suppose if, as Helen mentioned, if Santa was coming, you know, what benefit or, you know, what would we like to um, add to this list? Maybe at our, for our 20th anniversary, what would we like to be sitting around the table here talking about um, core facilities wise uh, in the next decade? Well, I think actually we, we have got great core facilities, uh, but I think a core facility is only as good as the people that run it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for instance, we use flow cytometry a lot uh, and it's it's hugely busy. It's very hard to get onto flow cytometry. So I think it's important that we keep that 
uh, up to date new machines and also expand the excellent people who run that. Mm. The, the our facility is only as good as it is because of Barry Moore. Yeah, I agree you know? totally. Yeah. And the same can be, same can be said for for microscopy. So I think we need to make sure that the facilities we have we hold. improve, get better. And I think if we had more people helping to run those facilities, we the output would be increased huge for hugely. So um. Uh, and within those facilities, there's also uh, scope for adding a few more bells and whistles. So, for instance, within the flow cytometry field, we could add the expertise to be able to do partitioning for single cell RNA seq, which would yeah. be great to do. You know, which is relatively actually simple. It's not not that difficult machine, but we would need the the expertise to help run that facility. So we need another Barry. You know, mm -hmm. uh, which let's be honest, it's not possibly another Barry, but another <laughs> something similar to another Barry. Um, I think I think you know we need to make sure those facilities stay cutting edge, uh, and uh, you know we have the the, the the newer microscopes with the high resolution confocals, and which of course are no good to me because I don't have to run them. Run them. Mm. We need yeah. somebody somebody yeah. to, to help us get those images. You know. Yeah, Michael, I don't know. Do you want to jump in? I, there? I was going to say the exact same thing as Dave. Actually, it's about getting. More people, actually, because um, take, for instance, downstairs. The, I, so I did my postdoc in Germany and I went through the misery of doing histology yourself and, you know, the microtome, all that stuff. So it was pure misery. And the students now we have don't have this misery. Um, so they have these auto stainers and they have and this is all because of Gavin, actually, because he's brought these in. Uh, they have auto stainers, automatic cover slippers as well. Like all this misery is gone now and um, that the students have. So not only has that that person and it's Gavin, but we need more Gavins as well. Um, they are making life easier for the PhD students, but they're improving the quality of our research as well, you know, and getting outputs out there quicker. Um, it's really it is people like we need more good people. Yeah. I, I agree with that totally. But I also think that part of this is that within the TBSI, there are five different schools. So the core and key equipment for each discipline is is we've huge overlap at the interfaces where we have become biological chemists, but the chemists still have their own needs and pharmaceutical sciences and pharmaceutical chemistry has its own needs. So what I would love to see, and we had this chat in TBS, I believe we didn't have the cameras over there. Well, maybe we couldn't have captured all of it. But anyway, um, one of the things that I was saying is I would like to see more resources for metabolomics, both in terms of biological metabolomics, but also chemical metabolomics. And one thing I think we're really missing, although there are some facilities in, in the chemistry building with be around mass spectrometry. It's something we don't have. The 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 opposition, or it depends if we're in competition or not, but there are other people in, in Ireland who have very large resources in this area and have been given great resources. I'd like to see that. But I also agree fully with what Dave has said. It's only as good as the people. And we don't really have a philosophy in Trinity across college, across the sciences, where we build technical expertise. We use our technicians. We certainly use our technical staff quite differently. And, and I do think that if you're going to make a decision, make a resource, even bring in co-funding between schools and, and one of the funding agencies, part of that plan needs to be to have personnel in place that will run that equipment. And I think Trinity needs to shift to that mindset because otherwise we're limited. Otherwise we're trying, we've got the gap. You discussed earlier on the gap. The student leaves. They knew how to run that piece of equipment. The next student comes in, looks at it and says, oh, that looks a bit frightening. You don't really have the, you can't fill the gap. And the other big issue I see, and I don't know if it exists in TBSI as much as it does across the country, is that we have equipment with no no ability to maintain it. We don't have the resources, the financial resources. And I also think we have equipment that we kind of shy away from and we don't use. And I'd love within TBSI, but also across probably health science and FEMS within Trinity to have an audit of what we have. 
what we want, what we need, what works, what doesn't work, what might be available for giving away. Mm-hmm. We have a piece of it. We have two or three pieces of equipment that says, oh, I never used that. Or oh, we got that and we didn't, we, we, you know, we didn't quite know what to do. So we've got a beautiful looking machine. I did an audit within a pharmacy. So what I would suggest is those things might help in terms of what we want. And then maybe we can swap or do something. Yeah. But if we don't get a handle on what we really have and then how to access it. I think accessing something like there are lovely pieces of equipment that people have in their labs. Maybe they don't use them, but I go up to UCD to use a few bits and pieces. I know there's one somewhere that I had a conversation with and it didn't really work in my favour. So I think actually if we had a register of equipment and people who were willing to give access to their equipment, that would be really beneficial as well. Yeah, no, but I think on a whole, TBSI does, you know, it has some excellent facilities already. And I think Mm. it's just to, I suppose, look to the future as to whether we can... um, you know, add more to the list, but also get the people there to to run them. I suppose another thing, you know, the the looking at the ten year report, it's amazing to see that nearly half of all TBSI publications were with international collaborators, and um, which is just you know amazing. And I think that's the kind of beauty of science is its collaboration and and working as a team. So I suppose, what do you think is the value of international collaborations, and I suppose why do you think we've achieved so well in this area? Sure. Yeah. Um. So I think. We have an awful lot of expertise in the TBSI and, and in Trinity, and but there's a lot worldwide. So if there's something already existing somewhere else, then the quickest way to get good science done is to find those people and work with them. And I think the the people in the TBSI are very sort of forward and outward looking. So people are, are very happy to to do that and just push the science forward the Absolutely. quickest way. Yeah. Does anyone else want to weigh in on that? I think there's two sides of it that you could look at. We, we're good at collaborating externally, which we are because that's the, historically, that's what we do. But it's also the fact that if you're based in TBSI, you've got a brand. Mm. And yeah. that brand can actually mean that an international collaborator, who you might not know, they'll PubMed you and find out who you are. But I think actually TBSI, you yeah. know, someone from pharmacy there, my engineering, and they'll say, actually, these are people in a good institute worth collaborating with them. So yes, international collaborations, two sides of it. One, the fact that um, we can reach out internationally which is, mm-hmm. that's the way science works these days. But also the fact that colleagues internationally are happy to come to scientists in TBSI and see that we can deliver the goods at the highest level. Yeah, no, definitely. I think we also have to remember that Ireland's a small country. So, you know, and in TBSI, we do punch above our weight for a lot, a lot of the disciplines, you know. So we, and we do that because one level is because Irish are, are friendly, outgoing people. And, you know, when we go to meetings, we do make friends, we make colleagues and, and people want to work with us because I think we are, are very outward looking and collegial. Um, mm. um, and I think, you know, there's lots of examples of, of Irish researchers punching way above their weight without those, some of, the, some of the, the really, really hard techniques available to us in Ireland because we've reached over to, to collaborators. You know, I, I've, I was trained in Dundee and I go and do all my high definition proteomics with 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 their facility over there and it's it's fantastic but we have a great working relationship uh, and there's just countless examples and all the big discoveries the big papers that come out of TPSI of all the collaborations that contributed this bit and this bit and without that collective those big discoveries wouldn't have come to fruition yeah Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I just wanted to mention yeah, one thing which I experienced during the week where we were on a big international conference and a group of us have been working together for many years. And what we realized or what I realized very clearly was that you also have the power if you're working internationally with experts in the same area that you've got, you've got strength and that can influence policy. 
So what I've seen in the last, just even in the last week with something we've been working on, like a collective group of people have come together who are really very impressive from institutes like across Europe. And then we've got the TBSI here, but that they uh, and the plan now is to actually to to really push for policy changes at the WHO level for international care in 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 this COVID environment, by, but by pushing that united force. And, and so that's what I've seen, policy on a national and international level. And I think that's hugely beneficial. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I suppose we've we've kind of touched on the research, um, but and pre- while TBSI is predominantly a research institute, you know, it also is dedicated to teaching and learning um, and it boasts, you know, some of the largest lecture halls in campus. So I suppose what do you think attracts uh, students to uh, come, especially I suppose medical students particularly, um, to, to come to TBSI? And do you think the fact that, you know, students are immersed in this research environment where a lot of the lecturers align their teaching with their research, um, do you think that inspires, I suppose, the next generation of of researchers, report, well, if you from, from, from medicine, um, what people are aware that in the second year of medicine they do lab rotations, so you have two or three students in lab for bit, bit like the fourth year projects, um, but these are fresh out of the box. They're literally second year medicine. They'll never done any real research experience, and they will be clinicians, and they come into the labs and the eyes get wide open mm. <laughs> because you know they. they you know, you, you meet them, so they meet the scientists, they chat to them, they do mini projects. So you've got clinician science, sorry, me- clinicians, doctors, medical doctors, who during their training in TBSI actually work in a laboratory. So they expose an early stage of their career that beyond being a doctor, there's clinician scientists who are actually active. Um, so then it's that TBSI ethos of research. And again, you know, to me, what attracts, what attracts is excellence. I think, you know, people and excellence. And if you're an undergraduate in actually any of the schools on this table and the people we mentioned, it's almost an undergraduate unique experience to have, you know, world leaders teach them science. Yeah. You go to a lecture with a world leader, it's inspiration. We all all joke about, you know, whether it be biology or physics, doing the junior cert, leaving cert, that teacher that made us tick. the Trinity undergraduates are fortunate. They go to TBSI. They got world-class researchers and indeed world-class teachers who are also do research or vice versa. And it's that exposure. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think that's really key. So actually, when I was an undergrad, we had all our lectures in a university museum. And I had no idea what a PhD student did until I got to my fourth year project. And I had no interest in it. I thought you were going to pay more fees, go to more lectures. Yeah. Like, I didn't see the point at all. And then I started my fourth year project. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what everyone's doing. And I also realized at that point that postdocs exist. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, definitely. Like, yeah, that was uh, that completely changed my view. And I think the earlier we can sort of start exposing that to people, the better for sure. Yeah, that's something I completely agree. With. I didn't know I didn't know postdoc was a thing yeah. until I was in my fourth <laughs> year project. You know, um, and I think that that's something I wanted to bring in as well. You know, we've got so much young talent in TBSI, and I suppose how do we? What structures do you think we need to have in place to not lose them, or to not, I suppose, number one, lose them to industry, but also to lose them where they think they have to, you know, go abroad and perhaps stay over there? And how do we keep them here? Well, I have something that I'd like to say here, which is um, when I was the director of research in the school for a number of years, I worked closely at the time with the dean of research, who was Linda, mm-hmm. uh, our new provost, and with the faculty of health sciences. And one of the key things I feel that really is imperative 
for Trinity and it's kind of emulating a model that's out there in other very highly established universities. Is that for that postdoctoral cohort? You may not have heard about them. That's because there were a few of them a few years ago. And when I was doing my PhD, there were very few postdocs. And that means that we have a bottleneck sort of being created for employment for people who are very specialised. So what I would love to see, and as I said, it's a model that's being rolled out across the world, is to have a special um, structure within Trinity to have a dean of postdoctoral research and to have a structure that the postdocs really feel that we are engaging with them. The saddest day you have, and I recently, well, I won't go into it, saddest day that you have is when you encounter a student who is a postdoc who comes with expectation and aspiration perhaps to be uh, an academic. And, and, and you know when you look at their CV that that, that tide has turned. Mm-hmm. So what I would love to see is that when these wonderful empowered students come to us, that maybe they have um, some sort of a postdoctoral team, two or three academics that oversee them. But the first thing we do is try and find out what they're looking for from this experience. Now, I know I've worked with colleagues and worked with people all over the world who have a different attitude to that. And they feel, well, I've got the money and they do the work. And that is true. And that model may have worked historically. But I think if these people are now going out as representatives of our university and our institute, the better that we we try and prepare them for what may be ahead of them or not. We can keep them if we know what their their aspirations are. And I, I would love to see in nearly a streaming process that when they come in, you decide they decide or they, they have a little kind of entry chat where you see this kid wants to be an academic. That's a very different path than wanting to be a researcher in industry or in whatever. And I think that that would be hugely supportive. And it's yeah. something I favour. I'd like to reframe the question and and I think we should be thinking how we can better encourage all our students to go away. And I think absolutely they should not be staying here. We train some of the best students I've seen uh, and we often keep them as PhD students because they're brilliant. Yeah. But they have to go away. Uh, And I think and that's actually uh, one of the strengths of the Irish system is that they all do go away. I went to Dundee for 10 years. Suzanne Clunan was over in where was she over somewhere in the States, you know, so we all go away and, and they go away and they learn different things, you learn different perspectives mm. and not all of them come back. But mm. Some of them do come yeah. back and when they do come back, they set up new labs with a new output, a new a new way of yeah. thinking. And that is absolutely essential. I, I always uh, highlight all the Welcome Trust programs for PhDs in Dundee mm. and in, in London. Go away, learn about the world of science and come back and then tell us what you've learned. And I think that's a valuable. Roots and wings. It's like rearing kids, isn't it? Roots and wings. I suppose, Dave, to to kind of clarify what I was trying to to get at, I am a big advocate for going away as well. I'm, you know, going to move to the States in in the uh, spring. So I'm very excited by that. But I suppose I meant for people perhaps who are at their latter stage of postdoc, I want to settle down. You know what Mm. I mean? And Mm. it's, I think, at that stage that it's crucial that maybe they they don't feel like they have to get another something else on their CV yeah, and go to another yeah I'd, yeah I'd be old fashioned in this because um, in, in the pre-Celtic Tiger you know BSc, MSc, PhD PDA postdoc America that well, that's mm. the that's the progression all the UK and I get in trouble because for the last 20 years I do tutorials for undergraduates or uh, PhD students MSc's and you know um, and it's my title is not a PhD don't do it <laughs> exclamation mark but if you do yeah. And the problem was my colleagues just listened to the first bit of it. Yeah, and then they shot you. <laughs> and they just say, what, what are you telling the students about? Yeah. You know, less than 5% yeah. become academics. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you have to work hard. It's competitive. And I'm a firm believer in the academic pyramid. I'm a firm believer in it. 
that we all can't become yeah. Nobel Prize winners. And that's, that's where I'm coming from with yeah. this notion of try and find out where mm. they want to be. But and then the expectation is different. The problem is now that, you know, I'm from a different generation. Mm. The expectation of our students now is that, you know, um, cutting microtone sections is educational. Oh, yeah. Mm. Nowadays, they won't do it. They'll get a machine through it. It's actually yeah. educational because if they're going to be PI and they see the dodgy slide, if they've cut it themselves, they'll know straight away. So it's, you know, is this yeah. training? But, you know, our students are different than they were previously, um, aspirationally and otherwise. And we as PhD supervisors or postdoc mentors have to change. But the pyramid, the academic pyramid it's works. The and the shape is going to change, but it works. So I think we should be, as David said, you know, PDA. You know, um, mm. I worked I worked abroad in states and whatever and in institutes and some of the best postdocs were the Irish guys. Mm. You know, he or she, you know, they're bright, they got on with people, they worked hard and they were bright and they go away. Some stayed, many come back, actually many mm. come back. So I think there's hard realities that need to be taught to our undergraduates, sorry, postgraduates and our postdocs. They all can't be Nobel Prize winners and they all can't be academics. Things, yeah. but, but they I can build six careers if they, if they know what they what if they know what they want to do and mm. what they're good at. We have to accommodate them, and if they want to work in drug in a drug industry or pharmacy or be a school teacher, we're obliged to help them develop their full potential. Absolutely, and I think that the whole point of the pyramid is that there's loads of little elevators coming off the, at every point of that pyramid because there's extra points, you know. And we need to mm. teach our students this that when you have a PhD you have a skill set that people love throughout loads yeah. of disciplines. And when you have a postdoc, you've even even more more skill sets. So I think abs abs absolutely. Uh, but one more point I'd like to say is that it's not unique to science. You know, my uh, my mentor, Doreen Cantrell, always told me that if you want to get to the top of accountancy, you got to work damn hard to get there as well. And any 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 industry, the people who are at the top have worked hardest and they have had, mm. you know, and to get there. And it's the same in science, you know, the the, the people, we've got to give them all the supports to allow people who are excellent to achieve their excellence and to rise to the top. I agree with that fully. But I think in that cohort that become postdocs, you have excellent and then you have people who've got PhDs and who've done postdoctoral work. And I think there is a bottleneck. And I think that there are people who really do need an extra bit, maybe or not an extra bit, but that kind of sense of reality that, you know, you're not going to go in that path. And I think within the TBSI, the strength we have for those postdocs, maybe not the stellar ones, but is that we have huge connections both across academia and industry. We have connections with, you know, NGOs, we have connections with all sorts of things. And I think that if we brought that power together as well and maybe had annually or biannually, we had, you know, industry come in, industry postdoc meeting reception areas because there's an awful lot of students who who want to settle down like women's clocks like mm. I mean I'm not allowed to speak about probably things like that but you know <laughs> there are biological <laughs> clocks and women are built differently than men and if you want to have children and all of the rest you have yeah. a window and what I'm seeing now which does break my heart is women of increasing age still in this postdoc trap where they they, they can't maybe do the other things that you suddenly realize are part of your life. I'm not suggesting we give, you know, tuition in that area, but I'm just saying, I think that, and, and I know when I came from the postdoc system, there were fewer, the competition was less intense. And, and that's what I would see in the pyramid, that in this pyramid that is academia, there is a shedding as you go towards academia of those who can maybe now really be, be pursuing that career. And, but we have other options we can offer and networks that we can 
you know, we can work with and make show opportunities to students of other pathways. Mm-hmm. I, I, think. I think that the issue is messaging because 20 years ago in Cambridge, the director of the welcome came to give a talk and I was a welcome fellow and this pyramid went up and it was going in and out as in mm. how steep it was. And I was sitting there as a well, as a fellow, I was postdoc, yeah. I was a welcome fellow, I was four, four five yeah, years, three yeah. years, three years postdoc sitting there in this room with Nobel Prize winners being explained about this, the pyramid of Korea and I was at the bottom. But what I recollect about that was the fact that the funding body, their whole messaging was that they're investing in people. And I look now at, you know, I have to do my CV recently and about people, Adora CV. And I went through my past students, um, got PhDs, whatever you, and I was trying to, um, one time you know, you have to Google and find out where they, they are. Yeah. And, and I like to say they're all academics, some are, some are lecturers, whatever you, but they're all industry, grantsmanship, doing grants, doing everything like that. And the pyramid is spun badly as if it's a, it's, as a scientist, you're a failure not to climb the pyramid. Yeah. That's yeah. wrong. Mm. And that messaging mm. is, it's real because, you know, I, I fight against it. Well, you're getting onto a new pyramid, aren't you? Well, Rather than falling off this If one. we train people as scientists who require certain skill sets, not just scientific, but, you know, thick skinned, definitely my lab, mm. the thick skinned. Resilient, yeah. <laughs> Resilient, mm. you know, communication. Flexible. Flexible, hardworking, timelines, deadlines, mm. everything like that. They've got a skill set. And if one of my people comes from TBSI, goes out and writes books, poetry or whatever, they contribute to society. And that's probably just as important to you. You've developed a well-rounded individual mm. that's been trained in an environment and he or she goes on their life career. And to me, that's a dividend. Yeah. So it's not the Nobel Prize. It's not an ERC, mm. but a person's had a life experience in TBSI. They've benefited from and society, which is what it's all about, because they pay the bills benefits and mm. that's you know it's it's not talked about enough that you know the people come through that make life choices for whatever reason if they excel in their career poetry whatever you know by engineering mm. the start up start up start up start up yeah yeah well showing sure, you're different because your school is very much i i work with industry and farmer but your school is industry facing so you see this all the time we do um but and i was going to actually add to this that the and I've, i feel very strongly about this as well is that the pyramid when you think about it in Ireland, it's not shaped like a pyramid as well. It's it's not shaped properly because if we think about these people that are facing the bottleneck, my perception of it is, is there's not enough opportunities present there. And that comes through either grant opportunities, but also our, the investment of our government in higher education mm. as well. So and while, you know, we talk about the great people in TBSI and there are um, a lot of people are very stretched as well, you know, for time. And there's increasing demands on that time, too. And those demands could be freed up more with more personnel. Get rid of academic administration. I can think of loads of ways loads of, getting of things, time. you know. But but also the scientific investment in more lectures to deal with the student lecture ratio and so on. I see a big bottleneck there, and I think it's um it's the investment in our in our field. Uh, it's not enough, and we're feeling it in every aspect, you know. And I could even talk, you know, about PhD stipends is another conversation, you know, oh, yeah. like. That's culling a lot of our students that may take opportunities doing PhDs in our institute, you know. Um, can, can I can I be the interviewer? Yeah. <laughs> We're all academics. What's your opinion? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose... From your perspective. Is, yeah. Well, thank, thank you for asking my opinion. Um, I suppose my kind of... Uh, the reason for asking this question, which is why I suppose maybe I, I framed it maybe poorly, 
was just I was thinking about being a female in academia and being and, and you know getting to that kind of second or third postdoc and you know you, you know perhaps you've you've done the, the trip abroad and, and perhaps you're you've, you've gone to maybe to the UK and you want to come back and you want to you know set up your own research career and you want to set up your own lab in Trinity or in maybe uh, a university in Dublin or Ireland and there's just no job and I think we see that a lot that they're you're, you're applying for the grants you're you're applying for all the funding but you know a job in as a, a assistant professor in Trinity in the School of Immunology, for example, is like you know doesn't come up very often. So it, it has to be have to be right place at the right time. But if you're waiting three years for that job, what are you meant to do with your life? I think that's what what I was trying to say is how can we you know better. Um, put in place strategies um, to prevent that. That's why I think that this dean of postdoctoral research is critical, because if you aren't an academic and you're not an undergraduate or a postgraduate, you're in this place. And there are still people within the university who have had the misfortune of becoming tied in with contracts of indefinite duration. And I mean, there's a whole story about that. So the thing is, everybody's life and everyone's time is precious. And I think sometimes, and I mean, I've actually dealt with so many postdocs and postgrads because I have this kind of sign over my roof, the red arrow pointing down, and they come to me from everywhere, from TBSI and everywhere, looking for advice. And, and, and you just see so many different situations. For some, it's very fluid. Men can travel more readily than women, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. And that's a very generic kind of statement to make, but it's what I've seen. And so you can get stuck. And you're also maybe in relationships and all of the things that nobody's prepared to talk about because we can't seem to be able to talk about anything anymore. <laughs> um, but you're you're stuck. So say you're here for some reason. And so what I think would be really good, I've seen so many people with such rich careers doing many things where science has been the rock on which the career has been built. But the, 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 the career isn't necessarily in science or maybe it's not doing research in science, but contributing, you know, in other ways. And many of my my postgrads, I had very I had a great um, visit to Switzerland uh, before COVID where one of my postgrads had taken on a super job in Roche and I was treated very well. And I just thought, God, this is wonderful. Um, you know, when you see them really flying. But like, you know, I just think we need to recognize that there are different ways to proceed. And I would love to see Trinity taking hold of that for our cohort across disciplines, but there are more postdocs in science and health sciences than there are anywhere else, because yeah. that has always become the mandate of the career. See, the, the issue here is it's down to the, the, the mentors. Mm. Um, I get in trouble because people in my lab after three or four years are kicked out. And people say, what? You've trained them for three hours. And I said, well, I, 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 I do regret this because you get some three or four years. And I've got this mantra after three or four years in my lab as a postdoc, um, there is a situation where I benefit more than them. Yeah. Because, you know, they've been trained by me, they're competent um, and th they've got papers. So after three or four years, you know, they're competent and they can get papers and they kept on on this thing. I need another paper for grant. I need another paper for grant. And that's the PI, the PI, a mentor, he or she has a fully qualified, trained person doing brilliant, which is great. But after three or four years, you know, I sit down with conversations, look, you know, it's time for you to move, decide, you know, do you want, do you want to stay in academia? Do you want to go to industry? Have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And you just got to sit down and tell them like, OK, this I suggest you do this or a chat to this person. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, yeah. it, it, this is 
a bigger issue than this conversation because oh, no, the reality is yeah. no easy answers are there. Yeah. No, well, and, and I, I, I actually had that conversation the day they come in. So yeah. when my postdocs begin, the first thing I'll ask them is, where do you see yourself? Like, what uh, is this PhD empowering for you? I, I think, you know, we, we definitely have <laughs> discussed a lot. Yeah. And I think that there was really... Um, beneficial and, and I think a lot of people listening will take a lot from all of the opinions that have been uh, thrown around the table. I wanted to also, I suppose, uh, speak about the impact of our research and I suppose what role TBSI can play in informing the public of, you know, the economic benefit and also the value of our research to, I suppose, public health. Um, and do you think that the public understands the value of research at TBSI or what we could do to um, heighten that understanding? Um, I suppose I... I I guess we're getting better at PPI, you know, public and patient engagement. Um, and we're all on Twitter, but most of my followers are on Twitter are fellow scientists, yeah. you know, so I don't get people. I'm from Leitrim, by the way. So I have about two followers, <laughs> maybe from Leitrim, you know, and Good one's lad. my mother and the other is my sister. Um, so I think we could do better. I discovered recently that Facebook is a great outlet for reaching wider audiences that wouldn't normally engage with um, the, with the type of work that we're doing. I think COVID has been a great opportunity as well um, to highlight a lot of the work, especially with the COVID research and really putting immunology on a platform as well. That's been really, it's not been a good thing, the pandemic, but it really has brought TBSI to the stage. And we are seeing, I think, you know, it was Science Week recently, so some of our colleagues were present there, but there is more we could do. Um, and I think... If we and I don't know what that is because we're trying everything, you yeah. know, we're doing comedy gigs, we're standing on soapboxes, preaching to the people, you know, trying to get them more engaged in science. But if we could get people more engaged and more invested and concerned, it could help drive public policy as well, you know, and drive our politicians to support science, put more investment into it as well in the budget. Um we could open up our doors a bit more maybe as well. Uh, and we do do that through different activities, different conferences and different meetings. Um, and we did have the European Researchers Night as well, but we haven't had yeah. to do, got to do that in the last two years. Uh, we've tried virtually, but it's still not the same, you know, so it would be good to open up our doors more. But if anyone else has any ideas. Well, we've, we've just launched a programme as part of the BOGS because there's a huge amount of the BOGS funding is to actually, you know, bring benefit to society and to communities. So we we have done a pilot study this year um, in creating a transition year module for transition year students across the country. And we're doing nine schools pilot study at the moment. So we've spoken to about six, seven hundred students in communities across the country and farming groups where we've got down on the ground with the farmers showing them the healing plants of their mountains to 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 actually try and engage people with people collecting stuff. And I think that bringing them in is really critical. But I think when you go somewhere where they feel remote, that if Trinity College arrives, or, you know, arrives like the red carpet is down, every parent in the place is there. I mean, we don't have time. We don't have enough time. But some of our postgrads, like I sacrifice a day or two or more for my postgrads to go and to actually do face to face stuff. And I think that has value, huge value. Joanna, I, I don't know. Oh, sorry, Michael. Just yeah. on that, actually, um, you know, I've been involved with the Trinity Access Programme as well. So, you know, we do engage with uh, schools in tough areas, I guess you could call them. Uh, but I think at the same time, I get solicited quite a lot by some very great kids, but often it's from places of privilege. Yeah that they're coming from. So we have this um, uneven balance, basically, where the kids coming from privileged areas can spend the summer in your lab and work there for free, you know, whereas kids that 
don't have this opportunity, don't contact you. So we really need to, if we're engaging outwards as well, we need to look in those areas too, where they would not come across us or get the opportunity to. So I agree totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we do a lot of outreach in the School of Chemistry. We actually have a, a dedicated person who works on it and they go do spectroscopy in a school suitcase in oh, different yeah. schools. It's a great and, scheme. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I think it, it is really good to get people to realize the, the value of science and have a scientifically informed public is huge. And then also, like you're saying, like getting to kids and re- making them realize that, you know, science is something for them is enormous. So one thing actually had when I was growing up in the UK was um, there were certain schools if you lived in various areas you could be targeted and you'd get a bursary so you'd actually be paid to go and work in a local company and where I grew up there was a, a ton of chemical industry so it was good for the company like they got you for free basically so if you did something that was a huge bonus it was amazing for the student because you kind of saw that you know this was a, a viable career path um, so I think if there was any opportunities to do things like that and you know specifically target people who wouldn't be putting themselves out with it otherwise then that would be fantastic yeah yeah just just on the, the one thing that what medicine's very good actually every school is is the patient groups oh, yeah. so um like i've spoken at two or three different irish societies of um hematology asthma i've had children with conditions in my lab and shown them the labs about that um so medicine by the nature pb is part of you know mm. patient engagement mm. but michael made a very good point that we go to schools and give talks and when we go to certain schools the pupils, careful my wording now, the pupils are very well-meaning, very intellectual conversations and everything like that. And there's other schools you go to and you get asked a question, normally lads at the back, okay, which I'll say no more. (laughs) And they're the best questions I've ever got Mm -hmm. because I give a talk about, just tell them what science is, whatever you, and, um, you know, and it's these burn in my memory. Uh, One guy, do you have a real job? And I was like, you know, and the teachers shouted him like, you know, Deco, what you get? Stop yeah. messing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said, no, no. He said, this is a hobby. Th- this guy doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. And this guy was like, and then he came up to him and said, like, and he just he said, you know, he said, but you enjoy what you're doing. It's not a job. Mm. And I said, yeah, this yeah. is science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the next question was a different school, but same type of school. Um, do you get paid to do this? Mm. And you think that you go to certain demographics and, you know, it's great. The public is public, but there's probably, I think Michael said the nail, there's probably parts of the Irish youth that we shouldn't not prioritize, but leave the doors open oh, yeah. because anyone can do scientists and the more people, irrespective of where the oranges are, mm-hmm. get exposed to it, the better. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we've done a few of those. We've, we've gone to Desh schools. We're working in schools in Dublin. We're working in schools down in the country that are quite, you know, that would be Desh, but quite mixed. So a Desh school in the Midlands is quite different than a Desh school really in Dublin because they come from a, maybe smaller communities of that. But the, 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 the joy you get in going to another school or a school where the, you may have more disadvantage or kids less less able to speak. And we've had I've had the decos as well recently, <laughs> but it would be um, the child who comes up to you like with you know, from that environment and says, can you tell me more or can how would I get there? And and like that's what that personal contact in those places really does, that they see someone they can talk to. Now, I, I was a bit flasher than you. I, I, I introduced myself as a medicine hunter. They really like the sound of that. So it's it's how do you engage with them or yeah. whatever? And, and they like that, you know, is that yeah. real? So, well, actually, it is real. But then, you know, I, I, I think that by being there and being the scientist there, that they 
they really can connect with that. And if you're lucky and you're there long enough, you'll break down those barriers and those little quiet little children who maybe want to be that scientist will come up and you can even talk to the teacher and say, you know, we've got an access program. We've got this. We can take those kids. Yeah. So with TBSI, it was muted in the original plan. It never happened. But what should have happened is as you come out of Pier Street Station, there should have been a lab built. And that was, it was muted, whatever you, and you go to the Crick in the UK, amazing uh, biomedical research just at Pancreas Station. And when you go through, um, there's a little lab, little stools. So kids from schools go in and it's like a little schools and they've got little lab coats and they literally, but it's in the windows. You literally walk by the station. So just imagine as you come out of TBSI on the right or left before, if you had a glass frontage there and you had kids coming in, like these are kids I know, 12. Yeah. Teacher comes in have a lab that has to be safe okay yeah. so isolate DNA from an onion so, yeah, okay. but you can't do that because they'll cry with the onions so you know from, from bottom up you bring them into TBSI and you know one of us guys or one of our colleagues yeah. comes in gives them a talk and like that and I, this is the type of thing that you know that should be funded yeah. so it's a landmark then TBSI that's where the kids go to do basic science yeah. the same way you know you could build it then that during the summer you have teachers come in and do rotations. So yeah, TBSI could program. actually, but it's got to be bottom up, mm-hmm. get school children to come in. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I joked about the, the second med doing lab research. What, a, you know, what does a PhD student do? What does a postdoc do? Mm-hmm. Get them in from a very early age and have a, you know, kids lab in the TBSI. And again, it'd be a great location, great publicity. That's a wonderful idea. And the industry could sponsor that because mm-hmm. imagine that they could link themselves with that. And David Grayson who's probably retired now, but David used to run the most wonderful um, summer school for chemists. And he brought the kids over to Wales we as well. We do that, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, not, I mean. Not with Wales, but we bring them in. Or wherever. Yeah. But I mean, that was a wonderful thing. And mm-hmm. I had a child participate in that. He didn't want to be a scientist, but ended up doing medicine. And I'm sure that that was a pivotal <laughs> point for him. Got <laughs> in the lab proper stuff and not your mother raving in the corner you know well no I think there are some brilliant suggestions and definitely things to, to take on board but I suppose my, my last question for you all and I'd like you know if you could all think about this and, and answer in turn you know we're celebrating 10 years of TBSI it's been a, a great journey uh, some of us have, have been here for the full 10 years and others ha- came halfway through like myself and I know Michael we're both 2016 Um what have been your fondest memories uh, within the Institute over the last 10 years? Um, I don't know who wants to kick us off. I can say, well, my, my strongest memory is actually uh, walking into level five. I was the first person on level five and I had nothing. So the place is empty. You know, I, yeah. I walked in, uh, I'd been taken on and they didn't bother bringing me over to buy a chemistry building. So I got into level five and it was clean. Like it was just nothing but benches. Yeah. And there was one person on level four, Claire Gardner. There was one person on level five, on level six, Richie Porter. And that was this for about three or four months. That's my, that's my, I, I'll never forget that. Just going into this brand new institute, you never see it again because now it's full of people, which it should be. But <laughs> my fondest memory was, you know, um, I've really like, just seen this whole immunometabolism field develop. It's just been, you know, even when I have a very little energy for other things, that's something that's really just given me energy. And I really enjoyed that. And I remember I organized a conference and it was just, uh, I didn't have any experience organizing a conference, but I just put it, put it out over Twitter saying, we're having uh, people here speaking. Anyone wants to come, just turn up in Dublin. We'll go, go for pints afterwards. <laughs> 
And we got people from all over, all over Europe came and the TBSI, uh, Tercentenary was, was jam full with, with local people, but we had f- from all over Europe just came just because they wanted to hear some of the immunometabolism and they wanted to go for pint of Guinness afterwards. <laughs> Any, anyone come from Leitrim or is your Twitter better than our friends? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had the help of yeah, Luke and Neil retweeted. Oh, OK, he right. He retweeted the bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at that, that stage, there have been quite a few people wondering what the immunometabolism form was. Yeah. But yeah. it was great to see us. We all went to went to our favourite Pope Kennedy's and we had a, we had a few drinks and it, was, it turned out to be a great success. So, you know, but that, but that was just, there was no, there's no money involved in that. It was just literally us scientists are going to be here. We'll, we'll get a few people to talk. Uh, and, you know, everybody came and it was real sort of spirit of science, I think. I love that. Yeah. Um, Pork, do you want to go next? Yeah, no, I, I, I'd say it's the impactful papers, it's the grant income, it's like that. But it's actually, you look back the 10 years and um, my story was that I was in with, I was there in the concrete when we were going from the bottom up. There's no lifts. So you walk down to minus three and then walk all the way to the seventh floor on, on concrete. <laughs> so this is when it was being built with wires hanging. So yeah, when the lift went in, I was very relieved. That I was, um, didn't have to endure that. But it actually, again, 2010, 2011, you know, who was a PhD student postdoc in the lab then, go forward 10 years, where are they now? And uh, again, that's the dividend. So it's not high impact publications or grants like that. That's great, tremendous collaboration is great. But it's like people that I've been lucky to have in my lab in TBSI and they've used me and TBSI as part of the life journey. Yeah, I love that. Joanna, Fiona? Yeah, so um, I suppose the thing I really love about the TBSI is the days I go into my lab and someone's say got a reflux on and they're like doing a workup and then right next to that on the bench there's you know someone running a gel that they're going to western blot later and it's you know not just that we have the possibility to kind of go right through and have like a full chemical biology um, projects running in the TBSI it's that it's really actively encouraged and that you know this is exactly what we should be doing I think that's fantastic and that's what kind of really makes the TBSI for me. Yeah Helen? Um, I think for me, it's probably, I mean, we've had loads of really exciting experiments and lots of, like Porik said, it's all about the students and that. But I think the biggest sign of being, of having arrived somewhere different, and this is having come over, you know, Westland Row, um, was we were doing cellular biology in the biology suite and we were taking our molecules. We didn't have to give them to someone else. We had trained up people and they were now working on in vitro systems in the lab and we were in control. And what I mean by that is like we were just able to see our own results and then move in. in and, and I found that incredible. Another thing I remember, we had an issue with enzymology because we're not enzyme specialists and we wanted to work on some enzymes, but wouldn't be probably do all the time. I remember Gavin Davey just taking one of my students, bringing her in, showing her what she needed to know. And, and that sense of openness and collaboration and, you know, sure, here, like I'll help. And and I think that's their moments, you know, um, probably no one noticed them, but I noticed them. I thought they made a difference. Yeah, brilliant, Michael. Um, I've loads of like really. Uh, <laughs> Let's keep it short, Michael. Yeah, I keep it short. So, so one thing that uh, I remember really well, and these are all good things. So I have kind of three, but one is the first time we got an iPSC cell to differentiate into a cardiomyocyte, and we saw it beating on the dish. Oh, so the cells beat like that. Really was a kind of a success. You know, we've got them to beat after such a long time of trying. Um, another thing then is we've hosted some conferences as well and TBSI is really good for that because it has that infrastructure to for catering, for rooms, for breakout rooms, for poster sessions. So we had 
we've had two great meetings there. One had a Nobel laureate that, you know, straight away when they invi- we invited them, they came. And I find that a lot, that anyone we invite to be a speaker, and these are top people internationally, they always come, yeah. you know, and they pick out our emails from, you know, the greetings of the day emails, and they, <laughs> they realize that it's genuine, and they respond, and they come over. And then kind of the last um, thing is about the people. So I had developed this kind of rapport with uh, Clean O'Farley over Twitter, actually. So uh, I'd asked her something and it was the way that I contacted her. But one day I was coming out of the lift and then I was going into the lobby and I saw Clean, but we'd never met in real life. So I went over and I was like, oh, hi, Clean. And she looked at me as if I had 10 heads because we'd never met in person. And my Twitter profile picture is probably I'm a lot <laughs> younger in it. So that kind of stuck out to me because I engaged with her in conversation. And I was telling her about the famous microscope on the minus three floor and Nuno was working on it at the time. So she dropped everything and just came down to see this microscope. And since then, we've like we were working on a couple of projects together on it. So they're kind of the things that stick out for me, like the people, a bit of research success and the great people that we can get to come over and give talks. So, yeah, and I think they're the the, the lovely stories that we hear um, from TBSI. And that's a lovely note to end on. Um, thank you so much all for you all being here today um, in celebration of the last 10 years of TBSI. And I suppose looking to the future and what we can improve on for the next decade. Um, with Kingston Luke we said if we had a pint we'd, we'd raise our glasses to TVSI so we don't have any drinks just in case anyone's wondering but uh, yeah I suppose cheers to the next 10 years thank you thanks, thanks very much, much.